You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 208 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, a couple of local ties are parading the Stanley Cup around town this week and former head coach Bruce Cassidy, and, of course, Chelmsford, Mass, native, former BU Terrier, Jack Eichel. So pretty cool that the Cup's in town. A lot of people are going to get a chance to hold it and take pictures with it. And, of course, Bruce Cassidy was on the Greg Hill Show on WEI earlier this week. And, I don't know, I'm sure it was pretty sweet for him to have to go on Boston Radio as a, as a Stanley Cup champion uh, just about a year after being fired from the Bruins. Yeah, obviously, like, he's he's – too classy to like rub it in his in anyone's face or gloat or anything like that. But yeah, you got to imagine it feels pretty good. Um, you know, certainly he won. If you're looking at how each of, uh, each of them did year one without each other, he obviously won, won that. Um, and yeah, he gets to bring it home and, and for a great cause for him, um, you know, they're launching the, Cassidy Murray Foundation in uh, in Milton on Thursday, um, which is named in honor of a teenage girl who died on vacation in Aruba in like a tragic boating accident and was actually friends with Bruce Cassidy's daughter when they lived here. So that's the connection there. And he's using his day with the cup uh, to help launch that. Yeah. And then Eichel has it on Friday and is bringing it to Skate 3 in Tingsboro. Uh, where he grew up skating and I think still skates when he comes home um, in summers or whenever. So, yeah, a couple, you know, Stanley Cup in the area, but still still waiting for uh, for the Bruins to have one, you know, for the first time in 12 years. Yeah, so, yeah, Scott and I are both planning on heading to Eichel's Day with the Cup, which is tomorrow morning. And it's, it's just kind of funny, like, oh, well, I, I figured we'd see the cup in this area this year, but it wasn't necessarily that it would be a Jack Eichel's day with the cup that we were thinking of. But yeah, Cassidy on Greg Hill yesterday was, I mean, he was on for about a little bit over 15 minutes, I think. He had, especially in the beginning, I thought he had some interesting things to say, especially, I mean, Greg and Wiggy both asked him some questions that are pretty much the talking points for Boston sports radio about kind of when did, when did it stop stinging the, you know, the, the breakup with the Bruins and um, how, 
Greg said something like, uh, you know, they're professionals. They should be able to handle a little bit of yelling every once in a while. And then Cassidy kind of like paused for a second and was like, well, the guys in Vegas responded well. <laughs> so, so it was a little bit of like, not even shade. Like, I think he, he couldn't have really answered it differently. Um, I thought he, yeah, he handled it classily, but obviously when you are the winner, <laughs> uh, it makes things a lot easier to, to just be like, yeah, that's in the past. I come on to bigger and better things. Yeah. Well, he talked about, cause he, he was also, he was asked like, you know, did you change how you coach or anything like when, after you got fired and he basically said like, you change some stuff every year. Like you constantly have to grow and adapt and learn. But for the most part, he was like, I, you know, I have my core tenants and like, I don't really change those. And he basically brought that with him to Vegas. And we know a lot, what a lot of those are. It's like, it's a culture of accountability and. And I think it, yeah, obviously like Vegas, Vegas responded well. Um, to win the cup his first year there. But I think the, you know, we go back and it's like, I think the Bruins responded well when he first became head coach here too. It's just, it's an approach that over time can eventually wear on guys and, and obviously did here. You know, I also thought it was interesting where he was asked, you know, do you, or were you aware that like certain players had problems with you or whatever? And, he said that he knew there were some players that he had to change his approach for. And he said, you know, be less abrasive with. And then he said, you know, there are other guys, there was some stuff he didn't know until it kind of came out afterwards, which is interesting. That kind of felt like a shot and maybe had a couple players who was like, you know, if you had a problem with me, like, why didn't you address it while I was here type thing? And I, you know, we can, I guess like we could speculate who that is, but uh, you know, there were a couple of Bruins who made, comments along the lines of like it's a refreshing change or like I don't feel as much pressure or you know I'm not wondering like am I going to get benched if you know if I make a mistake or whatever and I think particularly about like last summer Brandon Carlo had some comments in an article by Fluta Shinzao in The Athletic along those lines and you know I sort of wondered like is that kind of what he's referring to like you know did Carlo not really talk to him like if Carlo was having issues with Cassidy like did he not really talk to him about that while while he was here so I, I thought that was interesting that it was like you know that the levels of it were most of the players I had good relationships with is what Cassidy said and he listed off guys that he's still friendly with like Bergeron Martian Pasenak McAvoy said those were all among players current and former players who reached out after he won the cup um then there were players he knew he had to change his approach with and then it seems like there's there were a couple of these guys where it was like he didn't really know there was an issue because they didn't talk to him about it and then he heard stuff after he got fired i mean the carlo one disappoints me a little bit just because he was a uh, he was he was a captain on the team under bruce cassidy i mean i don't i don't think he was a consistent a on the jersey, but he definitely wore the A at times under Bruce Cassidy, and that tells me that Cassidy, you know, ha had respect for the player, and I'm sure the the respect went both ways. But as a leader, you 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 like to maybe not hear that from somebody. Maybe maybe I don't know. I just that's that's the first thought that comes to my mind, fair or unfair. Um, 
it's one thing for for somebody on the team to to have complaints, but for a captain to kind of speak out, I don't know. That that just kind of you don't like to hear that, really. I suppose. Um, but you know, one thing I did enjoy hearing from Cassidy was the kind of defending himself a little bit in regards to not being a a good coach for younger players. Because Scott, you alluded to it when he first took over the Bruins. Yes, when when Claude was fired, but mainly that following season, there was a there was an introduction of youth throughout the lineup, and uh, those players would be Pasternak, who had already been there for a few years, but McAvoy was his first full season, DeBrusque his first full season, Dan Heinen's first full season, uh, Matt Grizzlick's first for a full season, uh, Ryan Donato was introduced at times, he did okay under the, with the Bruins, um, you know other guys, Corrali, like there's other guys at Carlo. Right. Anders Bjork, Bridget's favorite. Yep. Yep. So, hey, by the way, Scott, you, is he going to be in your um, 100 best Bruins of all time? Oh, yeah. We, 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 can, we can touch on that later, but uh, I think Anders Bjork might just miss the cut. Ooh, okay. Scott's not allowed to tell us who's in it. So maybe, maybe he's lying. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, I mean, not to switch the conversation, but uh, Scott did get this. Uh, there's how many of you guys? 50? 15 or so yeah yeah 20 or so i don't know i actually didn't count exactly how many i didn't count either but uh scott's on the selection committee for the bruins centennial season um that so the bruins selected a few media members to kind of come together and pick the best 100 bruins players over the last 100 years so scott i know you're really excited about that because scott's like he loves his history and he takes it seriously so yeah i gotta tell you thank god we're doing this during the summer and not in season because i'm gonna spend way too much time tinkering with my list and and looking up a bajillion things and going over it over and over again so uh yeah i'm maybe not gonna be as productive with other work as i should be so good good thing it's during a a downtime in the calendar yeah just don't leave off peter nokalainen or peter schaefer any of those guys (laughs) Those Peter Vladimir Sabotka. Yeah, Sabotka. Oh, yeah. Uh, those guys all have to be on there. So, yeah, Scott, that's pretty cool. Uh, that's a pretty cool um, activity to be a part of for you. So that that is really cool. Um, I I guess just to, yeah, just to finish the Bruce Cassidy stuff. Um, Which, so, yeah. by the way, on our YouTube, I'm going to link it. I'm going to link it um, because we have it up. If you want to go watch the interview with – Cassidy on the Greg Hill show. Um, it's on YouTube. Um, so I'll link that for you guys here in the YouTube version. If you're listening on Spotify or what have you, um, just go to WS YouTube and you can watch it right there. Yeah. And yeah, so, so, uh, yeah, he stood up for himself talking about basically how he's, he, he is a pretty good coach with, with, uh, with developing players. And of course he spent a lot of time in Providence. So, you know, I mean, it's the whole Bruce Cassidy saga here in Boston and how it ended and and people saying that change was necessary. I'm not going to disagree with them because if the feeling in the room was that the message was being stale, I can't sit here and tell them that's not the case because I wasn't in the room and these players were. Uh, what annoyed me about the situation was that players allowed it to get stale because I really don't think Bruce Cassidy, I don't know. I mean, whatever. And, and then people will sit there and say, well, yeah, I worked in Vegas and they won the cup, but let's see how they let's see how that locker room feels in five years from now. Whatever, they got a cup. So, <laughs> I don't know. I think I think I think players respect coaches that can win and the coaches that that demand respect and excellence and accountability. 
And I don't think Jim Montgomery isn't one of those coaches. Um, but you know what? I also stand by, like, if Bruce Cassidy is the, is the coach in the Florida Panthers series um, after the season that they had, I'm not so sure they, they won that series anyway because I think the Bruins' problem in that Florida series wasn't a lack of accountability. I think it was just like, I just really think that too many things went well for them in the regular season, and and they just couldn't, they couldn't stand there and and face adversity when it finally smacked them in the face. And I'm not so sure Bruce Cassidy would have helped them in that situation anyway. But regardless, um, was the was there anything that was asked on that show that really stood out to you that that Bruce may have politically answered or transparently answered? For me, the question about veterans maybe sticking up firm or lack thereof. I think, I think that may be the only answer Cassidy gave where maybe he was not totally honest, but I understand why he would be. I mean, he said it was a management decision, and it was. I think if Bergeron said to Sweeney, like, we need – like, like the younger guys, are they're out of line. Like, he's good for our dressing room. Maybe, maybe the management would have not fired him. I don't know necessarily. Um, I'm not putting this on Bergeron. I'm just saying – I think Cassie may have taken the political answer there, but besides that, he was pretty honest about the whole interview. I felt. Yeah, I thought, you know, it stood out to me. I kind of references like him talking about how he it seemingly still has a pretty good relationship with at least a few of the guys, and he named Bergeron, Marshan, Pasternak, McAvoy by name. And while he was talking about, because he was also asked about that conversation that. Um, Vegas president George McPhee mentioned after the Stanley Cup how Mark Stone and Patrice Bergeron talked uh, when Vegas was looking at hiring Cassidy. And supposedly, according to George McPhee, Bergeron told Mark Stone, if you hire Cassidy, you'll win the Stanley Cup, which I got to say, just knowing Bergeron, I don't think he said it that bluntly. I think George McPhee probably exaggerated a little, but uh, Cassidy was asked about that. And he said, you know, I don't know the details of the conversation, but I do know they talked because I told them to talk. He he told Mark Stone to call Bergeron. And he said he told the other teams, like, yeah, definitely like, talk to some of my former players. And he said another team he interviewed with talked to Pasternak. So clearly, you know, now, like he said, like, you can talk to anyone. Like, obviously, I'm, you know, he might have his biases in terms of what players to talk to. But if he's telling guys, hey, talk to Bergeron about me, talk to Pasternak about me. Obviously he feels pretty good about those relationships and thinks, you know, those are guys who respect him and, and will give like a good recommendation. Right. I mean, we've all applied for jobs before. You don't put people down for recommendations who are going to, you know, talk shit about you and say negative stuff. Like you, you put down people who respect you and respect your work and, and can like testify to your character. So that's why I'm um, never putting Scott down as a reference. Right. I've, I've yeah, harassed him absolutely. far too much for him to give me a good recommendation. <laughs> you, well, you keep throwing those popcorn photos up on Twitch when I'm, when I'm on. And uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> I, yeah. He's like, he's like, you're, you're getting the worst recommendation of all time. She, you know, she can't focus. She's, she's more worried about popcorn, uh, which is the same thing I would give you in my recommendation for, for if you needed a new job, but, um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, the interview, I, I, to, to go to that point about Bergeron, like, do you guys remember he, he spoke to the like French Canadian media a little bit after 
Cassidy, the decision to move on from Cassidy. And I remember we had to like translate it back to English, but he was, he had said something to the effect of, uh, you know, like it, it, it had nothing to do with him. Like I, I remember, God, it was in French. So it was, it was, um, translated, but do you remember that Scott right after, yeah. um, what, like it was like the first interview Bergeron gave answering the question. Um, and he, he made it seem like he was pretty, not, I, I don't know about upset, but like, or probably didn't sound like he was disagreeing, but he was like, it wasn't us. Like it was, that was not a decision the players were involved in. Sorry, I'm just pulling it up too, because you're right. And this is a good poll. I just found it um, from, from last June. Uh, yeah. So he was, he was asked by Le Journal de Quebec, uh, obviously. So a French interview. Um if he had anything to do with Bruce Cassidy being fired. And again, this is translated from French. So take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, but he was vehement. It's completely unfounded. So I won't put any energy into it. It's a waste of time. And it's a really stupid speculation, which is like, we all know Bergeron, like that is more blunt and, you know, words like stupid that like, we don't hear him use very often. So yeah, he was, he was like legitimately bothered by that suggestion. And I, I have never felt like Bergeron is the one who got him fired or even like a situation where it was like, well, he sided with players and, you know, told Sweeney. Yeah. I think, you know, we need to move on. Like, I don't think that happened because I don't think Sweeney put that in Bergeron's hands. Like, I don't think he ever put that on Bergeron. I think he went through his exit interviews with all the players and, I'm sure when he talked to Bergeron, he asked like, Hey, you know, were there issues with younger players? Are there, you know, are guys not really listening to his message anymore? Like I'm sure they had that conversation and Bergeron probably gave honest answers. But when Cassidy says it was a management decision, I actually believe that. Like, I I think it was, I don't think Sweeney ever went ever asked Patrice Bergeron. All right, Patrice, what do you think? Should we keep him or fire him? I don't think that was ever asked. I think Sweeney had his conversations. He talked to Bergeron about different problems. And then he made his decision because he wasn't going to, I just don't think he was ever going to like hang Bergeron out to dry like that, where you're putting, putting it on a player, whether to keep a coach or not. Like that's first off, I would say that's cowardly general managing. If that, if he did do that, like you're the general manager, that's your call. The coach is directly under you. You're the one who decides whether they stay employed or not. And I think that's how it worked here. Like, I think it ultimately was Sweeney's decision. And Sweeney and Neely. I'll throw Neely in there, too, obviously, because the two of them work very closely together. Um, And I think it was made, I think that decision was made without putting any sort of ultimatum to Bergeron about, you know, what do you want us to do? Like, I don't know. So that that's what I think. I feel I feel like if in the exit interviews, if Bergeron, if Marchand, if Felino, if any of these veterans were asked about the coaching situation and they were like, No, it's all good, then Sweeney would not have fired Cassidy without consulting Bergeron. There's no there's no way, but there's no way he would have done that. Um, which tells me I, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, th- there was enough. There was enough agreement slash acknowledgement from the veterans in their exit interviews about friction between Cassidy and some of the younger players that Sweeney felt vindicated enough or justified enough to fire Sweeney without telling them. I still find, I still, that's the only way he would have not told, given Bergeron a heads up, is if Bergeron, Marshan, and other veterans all at least acknowledged and agreed with the fact that there was some friction with Cassidy and others. Because I, I really do find it hard to believe that they can go through exit interviews and then he wouldn't give Bergeron in particular and Marshan uh, a heads up about what might be coming. You Because you know why? Because you might not want to put them in a tough position like like, like speculation has, has come out since. You're not changing Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand's head coach in their final, you know, potential runs without letting them know. You're just you're just not. Unless everybody in the interviews acknowledged, like, kind of unspoken, like, we under, like, there may have been, like, an unspoken, like, yeah, like, this is what's going on in the room. The younger guys aren't jogging with them anymore. What, what do you want? It's, it's the way that it is. I still... That that's the only way Sweeney would have fired him without consulting them is if in the exit interviews they were they were transparent enough, not necessarily agreeing with the younger players, but at least acknowledging it. Um, but you know what? It's 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 a um, it's a conversation we're having now because 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 you know Cassidy was on you know, full transparency. Like it's not. I really don't think it's that big of a, a deal either way. Like you know, the change happened. I love Cassidy as a coach. I'm not. I don't. I don't really get my rocks off like trying to cast blame on why he got fired. He got fired. Um, you know, I think it's strange how the the off season last year started like he was not getting fired, right? Um, and then it kind of came out of nowhere, and that's that's kind of why last year I was a little upset for Cassidy because they made coach like they started to make uh, co- coaching decisions for next year with Cassidy still in mind, and and the firing just kind of came out of nowhere, and it just kind of feel it. One thing's for sure. It was definitely the player's influence. I mean, obviously, like the exit interviews, like that. Sweeney apparently didn't realize how much the players didn't like Cassidy, and that's why I I, I take back some of the blame I give on Sweeney because Sweeney kind of had to Sweeney and Neely. If they feel like the room's not jiving with the coach, then then it is what it is. I've like I've said, I I find it annoying that that the players allowed it to get to that point. Still fun, still kind of feels like a mutiny to me. Um, it worked out great for the Bruins. They had a great regular season. The playoffs, was that coaching? Was it not coaching? I don't know. But Bruce Cassidy uh, certainly certainly turned Vegas around. And, and, and as he put it in his own words, it worked out great for him. Yeah, I, I, mean, I definitely agree with the point of like, eventually at some point he gave the veteran players a heads up of what was coming. Um, obviously, that's not something you would want them to be blindsided by or like find out through social media or whatever but i guess what i wonder there like i'm my guess is that conversation was sweeney calls up bergeron says i made this decision and this is what we're doing like i I don't think he called him up and said i'm thinking about doing this and like this further discussion back and forth or whatever like i think once sweeney made the decision it's I'm giving you a heads up that we're doing this, but like, it's a final decision. We've already decided type thing. Um, again, just because if to me, if you're a good GM or really any good boss, like you're not 
you're not putting someone else's firing on someone where that's not their responsibility. Like it, it's not Patrice Bergeron's responsibility to hire, fire, keep coaches. It, at least it shouldn't be to me. Like that, that's just not how it should be run. Like I know that it happens in other sports, like especially the NBA, you definitely get the sense that like a player like LeBron James controls a coach's fate. I think it's a little different. I just don't think it works that way in hockey nor should it. And so, yeah, while Bergeron's feedback is taken into account, like I would say bad job by Sweeney if it was ultimately Bergeron's decision, like that's just not how it should work. So um, that like now that we hear more and more and, and the fact that Cassidy, I don't know, maybe privately he does think, you know, Hey, Bergeron and Marshan kind of hung out to dry or whatever. I don't know. Maybe like, like we said earlier, he, it's easy for him to take the high road now because he won. So why, you know, piss anyone off in Boston at this point? But him calling it a management decision, I I think that is actually how he feels. Like, I think he does believe that ultimately this was a Sweeney, Neely decision. And, you know, they're the ones who made it. And, you know, I think he still has, some, I think he still has a decent amount of respect for Sweeney too. Like, he talked about how, he took Sweeney's feedback into account when he did get fired because he he does respect him. He said Sweeney was one of the first ones to reach out after he won the cup. So it seems like there's at least still like some mutual respect there where it's not like, well, screw that guy. He he fired me. Like I'm never talking to him again. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. Um, so did you guys want to switch over to there's a little bit of news Bruins wise that does not involve um, Cassidy. Uh, so they signed yesterday. They signed Jesper Boquist um, and Scott, this is another, you know, bottom. I, I wouldn't even say like bottom six, like he's maybe even fringe bottom six. Um the Bruins are able to sign him on, I believe, the league minimum, right, Scott? Yeah, one year, $775,000. So, you know, it is interesting that they keep signing depth forwards, and I don't think there's any harm in it. Like, Boquist is, is a younger player. He's 24, turning 25 in December. Um, he was an early second-round pick in 2017, scored in juniors um, coming up, so your same kind now Morgan geek, I think is a better player who's had a little more production at the NHL level, but similar idea of like, he has a younger player who has kind of been buried. Hasn't quite clicked where he was. Let's bring him in and see if maybe we can, you know, uncover a little bit more in this case, you know, offensive potential that he's maybe flashed in the past, but hasn't really come through yet. Um, he does have a pretty good shot. He's had a pretty high shooting percentage the last couple of years. Doesn't take a lot of shots. So that's obviously something you'd like to see him do more. Um, 
actually had the best five on five shooting percentage on the Devils last season. Had pretty good defensive metrics. Um, he came up as a center, but he's been bad on faceoffs in the NHL. So very I bad. Thirty six percent. I was looking it up yesterday. Thirty six percent through about four years. Um, not that he's played a lot of games in some of those years, in some of those seasons, but um, yeah, thirty six percent faceoff percentage. Uh, not, not great in 189 games. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, maybe someone, so I more likely see him on the wing, at least to start and, you know, maybe get him under Chris Kelly's tutelage and the faceoffs improve. Ooh, tutelage. Um, Good job, Scott. There's your, there's your vocabulary word of the day. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I don't know. Again, it's, it's a very low risk move and, I know, you know, some of the first reactions you see is like, why does Sweeney keep signing guys to block young players coming up? And on the one hand, I get it. Like everyone wants to just see, you know, a couple open spots for some of these younger guys to compete for. On the other hand, I'll say the same thing I've said before. Like these aren't, these aren't signings that really hinder you. If a young guy beats out Boquist for a job or Patrick Brown or AJ Greer, they're going to play like those are contracts that are easy to wave and either, either someone picks it up and they're gone or, you know, they, someone doesn't pick them up. You send them down to Providence. Like, I don't think there's much of an issue there. It's not like you can't move these cheap one-year contracts. Yeah. I like, I like the addition. Honestly, I think, uh, you, the way you put it, Scott, low risk, it is low risk. Uh, you know, Jesper Boquist is one of those guys that, you know, admittedly, you don't watch um, every New Jersey Devils game. But the last four or five years, it feels like the whether the playoff, uh, the Devils were playoff bound or not, one of the big accolades people would say about them is they're up and coming and they're fast. They got great team speed. And, and, and Jesper Bratt was one of those guys. Jack Hughes was one of those guys. Pavel Zaka was one of those guys. Um, you know, Bruins and killer Miles Wood, Miles Wood, uh, Who Brian went golfing with. I did actually, I forgot about that. <laughs> By the way, uh, skate three isn't just Jack Eichel's home rank, it was my home rank, but nobody, that's okay. I'm it, not freaking. Oh, that. okay, it, <laughs> it was sort of mine too at one point. Like, I, I definitely played in the league when I was younger, where like all of our games were there, and then we then we moved to the Merrimack Valley Conference and we were at like all the MVC ranks, yeah. Yeah, uh, Skate 3 was my home rank growing up. It's my high school high school rank. And then Nashville also had a – they built a rank called Conway Arena in like 2003 or four, and then I kind of split time between the two. Regardless, um, I never got to bring the cup back, so I'll, I'll, give, it, I'll, <laughs> give, it, I'll, I'll give it to Jack. It's okay. Um, actually, all joking aside, though, it is, it is really cool that, that the cup is going back to Skate 3. That, that is really neat. Um, if you go there, if you go there to see the cup, well, it's the summertime, so I don't know if the snack bar is open. But uh, they have phenomenal uh, pizza there. They've got to have that open. Like you're gonna, there's gonna be like a bunch of people in there. It's open to the public. Yeah, got to have the snack bar open. They'll be open. They'll be open. Uh, shout out Alex in there. <laughs> pizza. Uh, what were we talking about, guys? What was the last thing? Oh, Chris. oh yeah, so, the Devils had a lot of speed, and that was yeah. Uh, Top five what? Massachusetts ranked snack bars. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we were talking about. <laughs> um. Jesper Boquist was one of those guys that were, I used to watch the Devils and and his speed, w- w- he was one of those guys like, oh, that guy's pretty quick. Now, 
you look at his at his 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 stats over the last couple of seasons, and it, there's really nothing there to be seen much, um, which kind of surprises me because, again, not watching the Devils too often. When I watched him a few years ago, I thought he was one of those players that was up and coming and, and could be a good player for them. Um, so definitely has good speed. I think he has good hands. Um, he's a crafty player. He hasn't put the production together at the NHL level. So, Bridget, when you when you call him a fringe would you call him a fringe middle six or a fringe bottom bottom six? Well, like I would say, like calling him bottom six might be generous. Like he might be bottom three or fringe. Bottom three or fringe. And I think I think based off of his NHL production, I think that's fair. I think the Bruins hope that maybe one of these days he can kind of evolve his game and maybe, maybe at some point become a, a middle six fixture. I don't know. I don't really know what his ceiling would be. I think that that, that could be a fair ceiling. Whether he reaches it or not is a different question, but – uh, I like the signing. It's, you know, it's less than a million dollars. He's a young player. And he has NHL experience and he has a couple of tools that are pretty evident when you watch him play. He just has to put it all together and Boston hopes that he can do that with them. Yeah. I don't know if you guys had a chance to listen to his exit interview from the devils, but he talked about how the first half of the season, he really did not like his game the first half of the season. Um, he mentioned there were, there were games in the playoffs that he didn't really want to talk about either. Um, the question about him has been the consistency. Um, speed is one of his main attributes. I, I think he's, this is something Scott and I talked about last episode when we were talking about um, rookie development camp was that some guys still need to put on a little bit of weight and muscle. I think focus could probably serve to put on a little bit of weight. It might, um, you know, help them against these NHL guys. But um, like you mentioned, he's not super young. He's 24. Um, his speed, I, I don't know if, you know, if you want to compare him to anybody, but like, um, you know, when Lauko comes up and plays on, on the fourth line, he's kind of, they, they're kind of using him for his speed. I don't think that those two players are, are similar in their, their uh, you know, their personalities. Lauko is a little bit more of a grinder, focus more like skill and speed, but um yeah, I just I I don't know how far up the lineup he goes, and especially when you think about it, um, where the cap situation is right now. In order for them to sign Bergeron and Krejci back, I believe they would have to waive one of the three players that Scott mentioned: uh, Brown, Boquist, or Greer. Yeah, well, oh, possibly. I mean, we just don't know like what the money would be or what they'd be looking for. But, you know, you still get a re-sign Swayman and Frederick who are still out there as restricted free agents. Arbitration hearings scheduled for end of July. Like I think Frederick's August 1st and Swayman might be like July 30th or 31st um, if they don't agree to a deal before then. So right now the Bruins have, according to Cap Friendly, $5.4 million in cap space, which – I think should be enough to sign those two or like right in that area. And I know one of the first, like saw a couple of people react to the Boquist signing saying like, goodbye, Trent Frederick. Like, does this mean, you know, they don't think they're going to sign him? And I don't think it means that at all. Like, I don't, I don't think he's a necessarily a Trent Frederick replacement. I guess if things did fall apart with Frederick and whatever, some, you know, that does get dragged out to arbitration and he gets, awarded a higher number than they anticipated then 
it could be some insurance for for that scenario, but I still don't really see that happening. Like I expect, I still expect them to get a deal done with Frederick. I think they still have the money sitting there for it. And you're right. Then if Bergeron does come back, you probably have to free up some money somewhere. But I think they have some easier paths to do that now. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a a big contract. Assuming Bergeron, you know, is coming back cheap and not asking for like five million. So there's no way. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, but you know, I, I think Boquist, it's just it's another guy to come compete for jobs because it's like if you line it up right now and. You know, you, you could move like the wings around, but let's just say like in general, top line, Marshan, Zaka, Pasternak, second line, Van Riemsdyk, Coyle, um, DeBrusque. I don't know why I was just blanking on that, but, you know, third line, you, you figure Frederick and Geeky are there, and then there's the competition. And, you know, I don't know if Lucic can play third line anymore, but Lauko is going to battle for that spot. You know, whether it's a... Uh, Lysel or McLaughlin or um, Merkulov, like those guys can all battle for a third line spot. And I think you throw Boquist into that group where it's like, if you can tap into more offense, then maybe you can battle for that spot. Or if not, all those guys are also battling for fourth line jobs. And you have Patrick Brown in there and Greer and Johnny Beecher. And it's like, I just don't think it's a bad thing to have all this competition because again, if, if a Boquist or Patrick Brown loses out, like you can just bury those contracts. Like you can just cut those guys. So um, yeah, there's some upside there and worst case scenario. Like I think he's perfectly fine as a fourth liner or or extra forward or whatever. So, um, you know, it, it makes sense to me. Like it's, again, it's a very low risk move that that's a chance worth taking. So at this at this stage in the summer, uh, free agency as is come. It's it's for the most part it's gone. Um, you know the draft is coming and gone. Now we have to, to 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 wait and see if Bergeron comes back. If Bergeron doesn't come back, I just think um, I don't know. I don't know if a if a hockey trade is in the future for the Bruins this summer for for to potentially bring a center in. I. I you know, the, lo- the longer this goes, the more I just kind of feel like it's either Bergeron comes back and every center slides down a slot or or they're going to run out with Coyle and, and Zaka. And, um, you know, not only is that not ideal for, for up the middle, but when you have James Van Riemsdyk as your second line left wing, I also think you're lacking depth in the wings too. So it's not just center. So, you know, I think if Bergeron comes back, it solves a lot of problems, but I still, either way, I mean, they seem to be, I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, Bertuzzi's gone, Taylor Hall's gone. Um, you know, that, that that they're a little bit short on the left side. So, you know, this 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 forward grouping, and it's no secret, like the goaltending's fine, the defense is great. I mean, no, I would say the goaltending is great, uh, at least in the regular season. The goaltending situation is great, the defense is great. But up, up front, though, it's not just center ice that they're lacking right now. Even if Bergeron comes back, they got some... I mean, I know, we all knew this was coming, right? But it's just there's a lot to be desired for this forward group right now. And it, it just it, – for me, it's one of those situations where, like, if that's the case, you really – it's really – you really want to see a Merkeloff or a Lysel and, or, or some of these younger guys and probably – like, now's their chance to get them in there. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 
disagreeing with signing Geeky. I'm not disagreeing with signing Boquist. Like, no big deal. Like, honestly, like those I like those signings. I'm just saying, like, this is this is when you want to see some opportunity, and, and some of these younger players take this opportunity. And and I know that, and Scott, maybe in Bridge, I don't believe you were in attendance. Maybe you were, but at uh, at rookie camp or development camp uh, at Warrior this past week. I see some people in, in attendance that are a little bit sour on Lysel. His, 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 I mean, I wasn't there to really watch him, so I can't really speak to it. Um, well, we can, can we just plug our last episode? Because Scott spoke to Lysel and Lorai. So if, if anybody wants to go back and listen to what Lysel said he's going to be working on this offseason, um, you know, that was part of our last episode. Okay. And so with that in mind, do you – did you get the sense that that Lysel is is in position to challenge for an NHL spot this season? And did your eyes tell you that when you watched them? I know it's still the summertime well, and it's still months to go, but yeah, I mean, and in Lysel's case, it was extremely hard to judge because his entire off season has been thrown off by the concussion he had at the end of the season. And last week was really the first time he got back up to full speed and was on the ice, like really doing hard drills. Um, you know wasn't wasn't even on the ice on monday was no contact tuesday wednesday so you're only talking about two days that he was really up to full speed and that's his first two days up to full speed of the summer whereas other guys you know take take their couple weeks off after the season and then you know have probably been skating pretty hard for a couple weeks leading leading into development camp um i still think he had some some really strong moments like he his skating still, especially against kind of that age, it still stands out in his offensive skill. Like you can just tell like those defensemen at that level of, you know, rookie development camp struggle to, to handle that. Now what he has to work on between now and training camp and preseason is, you know, being able to do that against NHL level players. He, was pretty open about the fact that he got worn down in Providence last year. And on the one hand, it's his first year as a pro. He turns 20 during the season, like understandable to an extent, but also if you're talking about a guy that you're hoping makes an impact at the NHL level this year, not really ideal to hear that, you know, as early as late December, early January, he was feeling burnt out. Like, you know, it, and to clarify, because a couple people responded and were like, well, he had a concussion. What do you expect? No, no. Like burnout came long before that. We're talking midseason. The concussion wasn't until the very end of the year. So, um, yeah, he's I think he has quite a bit of work to do in terms of endurance, strength, you know. Muscle, like all of it. It's not impossible. Like you can, you know, players can transform quite a bit over the course of a couple months but in terms of him like winning an opening night roster spot i at this point i feel like it's probably an uphill battle just because he had so much work to do and had his off season basically delayed you know a full month almost two months um but you know we'll see he's gonna obviously he's gonna be there at training camp and playing in the preseason so he'll have a chance to, to prove that he's ready. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where, where he can get to by September. 
Yeah, and I don't know, Brian, if you had any other questions about development camp, because actually, since since you were on, uh, I'm guessing you were in New Hampshire. I was also in New Hampshire for the fourth. Um, but uh, development camp, we had uh, discussed some of the signings. What, did you discuss the signings with Scott before? Like, cause I missed the week before that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a I actually, I actually had a question for you, Scott, about um, some of the development camp stuff. So there's a lot of Hockey East guys that are, you know, that are out at camps, but there's quite a few at Bruins camp. Um, did you get a chance to look at Svedbeck from the, the Providence goalie? Yes, but I will just say it's, and anyone who like works these development camps will tell you the same thing. It's extremely difficult to judge any goalie in, in, in an yeah. environment like this. Like, they're just facing a million shots all day long all, during all it's a lot of one on O's, two on O's, two on ones, like, you know, a little bit of scrimmage. I guess what I will say is the goalies looked good in the scrimmage because they played three 10 minute periods at five on five and no one scored until the final 10 seconds of, of the scrimmage game. So uh, goalies were, were pitching shutouts in the scrimmage. Um, but other than that, like I, I can't pretend I have like a detailed analysis of how Phillips sped back or any of the other goalies did, because it's just, you know, it's good to have them out there on the ice. You need goalies out there, but it's, it's pretty hard to like judge their games in that environment. Who yeah. was the, oh, sorry, Bridget, go ahead. No. Uh, who, who would you say was the, the biggest offensive standout I, I know i know mason laura i looked looked great um but you know frankly uh they don't the bruins don't need him in the opening night lineup on, on the left side of the fence to make them a competitive team but they do need some some help up front and i guess i was wondering i've heard uh matthew poitra's name mentioned and, and having a strong strong uh strong week uh, is there anybody else that stood out to you uh besides him that maybe you thought to yourself i could see this person playing really well in Providence maybe this next year and the Bruins could have something in this player, maybe on, in a future bottom or middle six role. Uh, yeah. I mean, Quadras was, was the big one. He did have a great week. Um, cl- just clear, like high end offensive skill, especially as a playmaker, but he also had some good finishes and, you know, there were, as I don't know if you guys saw this on Twitter, but like among some Bruins fans, there's, been almost like this underground push of like Poitra is going to sneak up on people and win a job this year. And Sweeney confirmed that like he will be there for regular training camp and will play in the preseason or, you know, most likely play in the pre. to think he's going to be ready to make the NHL roster just yet. I think another year in the OHL would not be a bad thing at all. Um, you know, a, a, a lot of so a lot of the guys who like could potentially make roster pushes obviously weren't there because they've kind of aged out. You know, like Merkulov, Beecher, McLaughlin. Um, one I think is going to be interesting is Brett Harrison, who was their twenty twenty yeah twenty twenty one third round pick, um, and will be in Providence this year. Is a natural center, but they're going to start him on the wing, which they've done a couple times recently, including with Merkulov last year basically just to kind of ease their transition to the pro game, take a little bit off their plate, let them play 
you know, playing one of like the top two or three lines with maybe a more experienced center, someone who's played in the AHL before. Um, but Harrison has a really good shot. He's he's a goal scorer, um, has some size. So I feel like his game could translate well to the wing, and I think he's going to be an interesting one to watch down there. Um, you know, see if he can score at that level, and then potentially you know move back to center at some point during the season and start to get experience there. We know we know the Bruins need to develop centers, and he's. He's one of the exciting young ones. Obviously, Poitra is is another. Um, you know, we got to see the uh, the 2023 draft picks, who are obviously all longer term projects. None of them are even going to be in Providence this year. Never mind Boston. But I think Chris Pelosi, Beckett Hendrickson saw some skill. Both definitely have some bulking up to do. Like they, when you see them off the ice, they legitimately look skinny. So. Um, you know, but they're only 18, so that's that's okay. Uh, Ryan Walsh, feel, who was their six round pick, he was second in the USHL in scoring last year and made a lot of good plays with the puck. Um, looked, you know, he's a little older, he went undrafted twice, so this was the last year he was eligible. But you kind of feel you kind of got the sense of like they this could be a late bloomer type player. Um, he's heading to Cornell and He's just, he's not very flashy, but he seems to always make the right play. So I don't know. He just scored a ton in the USHL. Like maybe it translates to college now. And I don't know, three, four years down the road, like maybe you have something. So those were, those are some of the guys up front that stood out. Um, but in terms of specifically looking at Providence, Harrison, I think, would, would be the most interesting. Yeah, see, I'll, I'll have an eye on him, Scott, because uh, we see Cornell quite a few times. Uh, I, I watch a lot of Cornell hockey just because I broadcast Yale hockey, so I'll have an eye on him for sure. Well, Scott and, and, and Bridget, I wonder if you guys see this this comparison, and, and I don't like doing player-to-player -player comparisons, especially when one player is a established NHL, uh, you know, top six forward, but – when I look at Matthew Poitra, and maybe it's just the way that – maybe it's his stature and the way he wears his equipment, but it's also people saying that he doesn't have the best speed in the world, but he's got great IQ, great vision, makes things happen. And and if he would have turned out into a player like this, I mean, the, the Bruins would have hit a home run at the 54th overall pick. But he gives me, he gives me Nick Suzuki vibes, and I don't know if that's just a total stretch based on, like I said – like physical appearance when they're on the ice, they look kind of similar the way they, they dress and their stature and just some of the attributes people talk about lack of speed maybe, but everything else is kind of there. Is that, is that a type of NHL player the Bruins would like could realistically hope maybe he could turn into, or is that just like really, really like that would be an absolute home run at 54 and that's not likely. Yeah. I mean, that would definitely be a home run. I thought, I thought you were going to go closer to home because I've heard people make the Krejci comparison. Um, which again, like not a ton of speed, good vision, good playmaking, you know, does kind of like slow things down and should shoot more. Like we've heard, we heard that about crazy forever. So um, yeah, obviously both of those would be like the, the home run upside best case scenario. I mean, crazy, you know, was basically the number one center on a title team. Very good top six center his entire career. 
Suzuki, clearly a very good top six center, you know, centers Montreal's top line, which obviously isn't the best top line in the world, but he's still, you know, a good player. Um, so yeah, those like, those are both fair. If you're looking at like, what is the almost like the best case scenario, everything breaks, right? Like what can he be, you know, four years, three, four years from now? Um, you know, I, I guess like my instinct in situations like this is always like slow, try to slow the hype down because that's just like not fair to him at this point to be like, Oh, he's the next Krejci or, you know, he's Nick Suzuki or whatever. But yeah, like if you're just talking about style and what he could be, if his development continues to, you know, to really go along an upward trajectory, like, yeah, that, that would be best case scenarios. You're looking at a player like that. Yeah. And that would, that would be exciting if that's, if, you know, that's what the ceiling could be for him. Um, And, you know, you can, as with Krejci, they found Krejci later in the draft. He was not, no first-round draft pick either. So um, you know, sometimes you find someone in the second, third round, fourth round, um, and which the Bruins have had to because they've, they've been giving away those first-round picks. Yeah. Well, and and, and I, I brought up Suzuki too just because, like, I, I mean, to call – to say Poitra would be a future number one center for the Bruins is, you know, that that's, that's a stretch. I know that, but Suzuki, uh, is he a number one center on every NHL team that I, I I'm not sold on necessarily it depends on what team we're talking. Right. So he's probably number one center on maybe 60% of the NHL teams, maybe 50%, but not all of them. And he's, a, and he's a, he had 40 points a couple of years and he, and he's just gotten into, I think 66 points this past year. So like, I brought up Suzuki just because I don't think it's like an astronomical stretch to like hope that this player could be a 40, 50 point player for the Bruins in the future and a really capable two way number, uh, you know, uh, top two center for the Bruins. And, and, you know, I've just heard nothing but positive things about, about him. And, and as we know, we've talked about it in the past, the Bruins built a championship core on non first round picks. Um, right. So we've talked about them before Bergeron, Marsha and Krejci, Lucic, I mean, and Tampa Bay, their, their, their championship teams had a, were, were littered with outside of Stamkos and Hedman, and they were littered with with non first round round skaters. Even even with for Florida this year, Brendan Montour was picked fifty second, I think in the two thousand fifteen draft. So he was a second round pick. Mm-hmm. He's one of their best players this run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so that's that's uh, I think, I think at this point, I feel comfortable in saying that. He'll be a, he'll be a, a a top nine center for the Bruins at least in his career, just based on what everybody's saying and, and you, you hope that it works out. But he seems like a promising player, a promising prospect for them. Uh, is he going to be their savior? You know, probably not. But you know, it's 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 uh because you know it's easy to look at Bergeron and Krejci and and their potential absences in particular Bergeron, right? I mean, we've gotten used we've kind of gotten used to life without Krejci last year and. I think we kind of know the inevitable this year. I'd be surprised if he came back this year, but you know, Charlie Coyle, like he's still under contract, but he's 30, I think 31 years old. Um, Pablo Zaka is really the only center that you have. That's like, you know, you, you know, he at least has a decade left in this league. So uh, it's just good to not, not only just to, for, for Bergeron, but the, the, the centerized position in general, it's just good to have, have prospects and guys lined up. And I think Poitra is a good start and we'll see if Harrison can turn into one as well, but so interesting, interesting notes from, from development camp. Was there anything else 
that you guys talked about last week regarding that um, that was worth discussing? I know we have probably have a few minutes left here, but just any final thoughts you guys wanted to discuss? No, I guess just, just one last thing on the centers. It's like, at least now you see chances. Like, at least you see opportunities of guys who could be something and could help you solve this issue. And yeah, it probably it didn't totally line up right because they're not ready as Bergeron and Krejci are actually retiring. If, you know, I think we all think Krejci's probably gone, you know, at least in terms of playing in the NHL. Um, Bergeron will see, but like what was frustrating was all those years where it was like, they don't even have anything coming up. Like there's not even, you know, a center prospect that looks like he could be a first or second line center. And again, like, you know, whether it's Merkulov, Poitra, Harrison, you know, whoever, it's like, they're not all going to pan out in the sense of like being legitimate top six or even top nine centers, but at least they're guys now that you look at and you're like, well, they could be if things go well, if they really develop, you know, the right way and stay on an upward trajectory. Like at, at least there's some hope there, you know, the, does it mean you're, you're going to be able to solve the center problem internally? Maybe not, you know, we're, we'll find out, but at least there's guys there that you're like, all right, they have a chance. Like at least you might hit on one or two of these guys and they become, uh, you know, like foundational pieces for you and play and help you win for years to come. And I, yeah, I think that we pretty much covered everything for this episode that I want to talk about uh, tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow, Scott. <laughs> tomorrow morning. Aren't you lucky? I'm ready. I'll see you. And the cup, hopefully. <laughs> you going to kiss it or what? Put some cereal yeah. in the uh, If they let me near it. <laughs> if, they, if they let me near it, I'm going to be like, Scott, quick, take a take a quick picture of me over here. <laughs> I'm wondering if uh, the little arcade room upstairs at Skate 3, if that, I don't even know that's still there, but see if that's open. Uh, the arcade room? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's long gone. Um, yeah well you guys enjoy that I was fortunate enough to to get a picture with the cup back in 2012 when the Kings won it somebody from the Kings organization I think was uh one of the and the training staff maybe was from the area and I think I went to like the I think it was like Chelmsford like VFW or something or something like that it was around there but that was that was pretty cool um so you guys if you haven't have you either of you seen the cup before no in person yeah you have cut you have scott yeah not me so we, we had Brid bridget famous famously and much your dismay missed it but we had it at in the wi studio in 2019 um mm-hmm. when the bruins were in the final they brought yeah. it the cup people brought it in for a day and um they like interviewed someone on air or something i don't know i forget but yeah they had like in our conference room and we all got to touch it take a picture with it not me i was in hawaii i mean i i don't feel bad like (laughs) i was so mad i was in maui and i saw tyler post a picture of it and i was like i never thought i'd be in maui going i wish i was at work today i missed the freaking daily cup but Uh, hey maybe i'll get to talk to to the cup guy because if the whole broadcasting thing doesn't work out for me i could just be cup guy just bring the cup everywhere 
the the first cup celebration I went to was the Ray Bork rally when he won with Colorado. I, yeah. I went to that as a kid. Hmm. Well, unfortunately, there, there may have been a, a couple of the chances to see in 2019 around here, but mm. it had to go back to St. Louis. But um, <laughs> any event, uh, you two enjoy your day with the cup. You guys have earned it. You've worked mm-hmm. your whole lives for it. All the blood, sweat, tears that go into into hoisting that that thirty five pounds of silver. Um, so definitely cherish it, and just don't I'm, forget to, don't forget to yell yellow the uh, uh, fucking rights when you should when I you should I try to uh, reignite the Borica Chelmsford rivalry and like steal it, bring it to the Hollenborg or something. Oh, that would be <laughs> that would be that that would definitely spark some uh, some hatred for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Cup Scott dating. would never do that to a former BU guy, though. That's right. Yeah. If if he were BC guy, then absolutely. Yeah. But but you know, it's a fellow fellow BU where he he couldn't. Mm. All right, guys. Well, we're about a, an hour into this, so I think we're probably good to wrap it up. Um, thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you very soon.